All right, you're recording. Talking like Act One, all things in moderation. <laughs> all right, you ready? Yes. Am I on speaker? You are on speaker. All right. We're synced up. Oh hell yeah. Good to be talking to you. I haven't I haven't spoken to you in a while. Yeah, you as well. We've now that we're doing yeah. the podcast, we like are trying to save it for the pod, and uh, mm-hmm. and that means that we don't talk as much. <laughs> Ironically, no, the no. goal of the podcast. Well, no, I was I I, I was angry at you. Uh, I, I I was angry at you. Oh, that really? Was the reason? No, I, was, I, I don't know. What would it even be over? I don't what know. Would it be I about this episode, Matt? Yeah. What we are discussing, I think it's going to be all about moderation. Yeah, I think so too. And not, 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 not moderation in the sense of I'm eschewing eating a donut after dinner. It's more that somebody else is maybe not letting me eat that donut or not letting me see an image of somebody fucking a donut. Or I, I'm not sure. It's it's internet moderation, Matt. That's what we're talking about. We are, which is uh, one of the oldest topics. As long as the internet has been around, moderation has been uh, part of it. And it's interesting that it's kind of coming back to haunt it. I hate to say that, like, it's kind of like a classic Internet problem in a way that makes me like almost like nostalgic and makes this feel natural. But I do think it's like an unnatural growth that has much like all of the cancer that is social media ballooned to lethal proportions for mm. people and society it's an issue nobody knows what to to do to do anything about and look we we've got a few we've got a i mean two articles i found very fascinating that, that, that we both read on this topic in different directions yeah i think we can start with we can start with the one that you shared with me because that one's fresh in my mind uh which is this verge article on the moderators at facebook um which I, 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 at first, I had one reaction first. I had the callous reaction in the beginning as I started to read the article. And you know what? You know, let, let's give some, let's give some background. I want you to, to lay out the scene. Matt, what <laughs> sure. is Cognizant? Can you tell, can you tell the listener what Cognizant is? Yeah, sure. So, uh, the article we're referring to, uh, which you definitely should read if you haven't, it went around this week. It was like a huge article. It was by Casey Newton, who I really love on all this stuff. He, uh, he has a great newsletter. I think I've shouted it out a couple times. That's like a very good way to like kind of like keep up on what's going on in social media uh, news and shit like that. Uh, And he I think it's been interesting, actually, like his take evolving over the last year that I've been following uh, his newsletter, too. I do think he's like kind of becoming more and more uh, skeptical about things. I mean, he always has been. I don't know. I, I would be curious what he would think about that characterization. But anyway, the idea is that. Uh, Cognizant is this contracting company. So it's a company that Facebook contracts with to hire moderators. Prior to this, I think the most we'd heard about moderators, a lot of the work was done by Adrian Chen, who was like a reporter uh, for The New Yorker and Gawker before that, who had gone, I believe, to the Philippines and shot of a good little documentary that you should seek out and find that showed moderators in like third world countries who were doing this. This is, to my knowledge, the first uh, company and like expose done with an American company, which I think is an interesting dynamic of like we were, I don't know, not that we were okay with this, but that we knew that this was going on, but far from us. And now it's closer to home. 
home and we can kind of sympathize more with the people. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a, a, a tertiary theme going on. But regardless, Facebook uh, has to has to have moderation. They've ramped up the amount of moderators that they've employed uh, or pseudo employed, I should say, over the last year as part of their big push to clean up Facebook. It's and essentially, you can kind of look at it in a couple ways. One is that, like, the way I, like, cynically and paranoically, <laughs> paranoically like to look at it is that they've essentially taken all the money away from people who used to produce interesting work. So, like, uh, artists, comedians, journalists, the money that used to flow to those people through the Internet ecosystem, Facebook has sucked all that up. And rather than doling that back out to those types of, like, content professionals... They're putting all those resources towards moderating what normal, quote unquote, normal people put up on the site. Although, obviously, a lot of the things that people have to moderate isn't necessarily just put up by a casual user. It is often put up by mm. propagandists or like ideologues or crazy people or who knows why they put it up. But uh, people post photos of, yeah, people fucking a donut and then decapitating themselves. And somebody has yeah. to pull that down we we, we to, to summarize i think the goal of moderation is to prevent the website from being overrun with sick shit right to prevent facebook from being overrun by that to prevent your aunt from seeing a cartel uh disembowel some poor person right. that's what it's trying to avoid in theory but in practice it's really just to keep those images away from advertisers uh, Facebook already has built in a mechanism for not seeing things from people you don't like, which is that you can unfollow them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So no, this is your other topic is the, uh, the advertisers are the arbiters. That's what I think. Yeah. Charge. Well, and, and, I, well, I just that, think that I think that that, so you, what Facebook is, is I, I, responding you, by the to, way, you caught me off guard. I'm, I'm used <laughs> to you expounding for a long period of time. I was just waiting. I was just waiting. <laughs> Matt with a sentence with one sentence. Yeah. Just one sentence. Well, I guess I'm like, I'm leading, I'm getting into like my own shit about this shit, but I, the, the, the whole moderation thing, I think that like, the, the the trap of the moderation problem, I think, is believing that we need to figure out this moderation issue. Like, and that's kind of like the conclusion that a lot of people are drawing from this article, which is that so these people at Cognizant are being paid twenty four thousand dollars a year. They're not getting benefits. They're all independent contractors. They can be fired at a whim. They have no job security. Many of them go into thinking that it's an entry level position for something, but it will not. It will not lead you to a job at Facebook. It probably won't even lead you to a job at Cognizant, except maybe for a year as like a wrangler of other people doing this moderation job in which you get severe PTSD. SD. There's all these like great details in the story about people just coping with this job yep. by smoking weed, by having sex, by getting drunk, just doing things that people do under like stressful situations. I'm sure a component at the, at of the it same all... time that just that just sounded like being in your 20s. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I was just about to say the like... exact same well, thing. Well, yeah. Yeah, and I and I had this reaction at first, like I said, the, the callous reaction. The you're not you're not exactly storming the beaches of Omaha right. over here doing this work. But then as as I kept reading and as 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 I kept going, I started to think, you know what? This is not what we're built to grapple with. And how different is it to see something in reality that is traumatic uh, repeatedly and to be exposed to it? in the virtual space on a screen, I'm not so certain that your brain reacts differently 
right? It makes some sense to me that this is that this is completely debilitating. I did think that the character of Chloe that the article began with was probably mismatched for the job. It seems if you're if you're getting queasy in training, this is going to be a fairly long road for you. Um, and, and maybe you should do something else if you can. I, I found myself relating to it in a way because um, after I left New York, uh, when we were living together, I, I got a job with Yelp that was not, it wouldn't cause PTSD, but it was very similar. This seems to be a new little economy of low-skilled mental labor to, um, to, to help tech companies keep things on the up and up, where my job at Yelp was to figure out whether reviews on these restaurant websites were fraudulent or not. That was my job, effectively, to see if they were all coming from the same IP address, uh, to see, to investigate, to see if whether a restaurant was trying to puff up its reviews or if there was an attack on a restaurant. There were a bunch of negative reviews that somebody who was an enemy of the restaurant, maybe a competing restaurant, uh, they were trying to undermine them. You know, this was my job, basically. And uh, it was I, not I just want to. I just want to pause briefly. I love the idea of, of every restaurant having an enemy restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them do a lot of them do you know you serve pita and then a place across the street serves pita you need to take them out and you become enemies not just rivals but but pure uh vitriolic enemies <laughs> yes yes that's how Most it cyber crimes it's... are between one pita place and another <laughs> I mean, look, man, there's there, there's a finite amount of money on a Friday night that's going to be devoted to going to a PETA restaurant. You Those want it to be yours, bastards so maybe... at PETA Hut are going to get it for this, as God <laughs> is my you, witness. Then you, rationalize, then you rationalize lying about them. They deserve it. <laughs> look at what they're wearing. They stole our recipe. They're lower than We scum. can lie about them. Those PETA Hut I mean, people. look, maybe it's not... Maybe it's not true that cockroaches are in their pita, but it's morally true. They might it's as well. Yeah, they might as well put shit in their pita. So I'm gonna it's metaphorically true. So I'm gonna put shit in their pitas, and they'll serve it to people and expose, <laughs> and I'll expose them, and then I'll be the hero. <laughs> I'll be the. Hero. I'll be the hero. I'll be the pita hero, and they, the pita um, enemy. <laughs> so this was my job for a little while. It wasn't well paid. The engineers were well paid. They were they they were feted. They were they were praised. They were feted. given the big bucks. And we were these grunts. It's it's just it's mental grunt work. Um, in the way we've shifted from manufacturing as a as a society to this other kind of mental grunt work, helping these tech companies, yeah. where. Yeah, I could I could do it. I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I listen to a bunch of music. Oh man, I, I, uh, if you are listening to this podcast right now and you are doing menial mental grunt work, let us know. Yeah, uh, syncinguppod at gmail .com. We want to hear from you. We would like to know about it. It was a depressing job, though, Matt. It, it was very depressing, and uh, it, it just reminded me of how for these major tech companies that are creating content that need some assurance of quality, the people vested with this very important job of quality control um, are not selected from a, from among the the most educated highly uh, sought after recruits and are, are are given such an important task and in this case with Facebook then exposed to just horrific imagery and I, I just wonder what kind of dystopia are we on the precipice of that that was one thought yeah yeah well I think that there's a couple things to like point out and to like unpack about uh, unpack about this that I think are interesting contexts that aren't necessarily uh, being part of this conversation. One is that like yes, this is very important. So much so that 
another thing Facebook is doing is they're creating an independent Supreme Court uh, yeah. where they're they're right now trying to recruit for this court uh, an independent body of like experts who will be able to make rulings on content that essentially get escalated out of these moderation farms and to like a high enough level that some sort of precedent needs to be set about what, you know, what is and isn't allowed on the platform and what posts can yep. and can't be taken down. So it, it's on one hand, like that's a, a big initiative that Zuckerberg is like touting as like one of his main things. But if you kind of like think about this as like branches of Facebook, this is like a volunteer Supreme Court that essentially is yeah. overseeing a you know a vast army of contract of like essentially non-employees for Facebook how important can this be but also just the very fact that of like this idea of making a supreme court for content on Facebook is so insane because it puffs up mm -hmm. the importance of things being put on Facebook to such a degree like it, it, it it's well, so crazy to me to think that if i post something controversial on Facebook or whatever and they take it down and then i dispute that and then it, it like weeks later, I might get some probably months later, I might get some independent arbitration, uh, like, you know, decree about if it can be reinstated onto Facebook or not. Meanwhile, like nobody cares anymore. Nobody's going to be looking back at that's not how social media well, works. It's like this weird think that, smoke and mirrors game that this is actually going to be effectual in any way. Do you think that there's a folly in trying to make it? They, they have this Talmudic like code of, of, of what is allowable and what isn't allowable. Do you think that there's folly in doing that and whether it, it should perhaps just be just in the way that I think it's best if we give judges leeway rather than having mandatory minimums. If we say, hey, we, we, uh, we made you the judge, go ahead and judge, right? Um, make this subjective call. Uh, if, if we just let the moderators make their subjective calls on content rather than having this intricate uh, system and, and all these different rules and it, trying to figure out, we should just maybe go by the, the, the rule of pornography. You know it when you see it, right? Yeah, well, I think you can understand why there's like problems with that when you're on a mass scale. I also have experience with moderation. I So when I've been running an app for a few years, this comedy writing app called Pitch, which is like a small, independent little community. Uh, that is in a in a it's a joke writing app and people are anonymously submitting jokes and like collaborating with each other on like comedy projects and shit like that. But there is an element where this is a bunch of people on the Internet thrown together into a forum and every once in a while controversies bubble up. I have to like step in and mod or the other people who work for pitch or, or our editors have to step up and mod. And I've like firsthand sort of seen how difficult of a job that is. I think I I've been successful at it um, to to some extent. One because I'm fairly clear about what is and isn't tolerated on the platform. As far as like, I, I mostly I, I just always kind of tell people to just like be cool and like be cool with one another because people are mm -hmm. people are anonymously posting things. They're anonymously posting things that sometimes other people are offended by. And my solution has been kind of like engage these people in dialogue, be thoughtful about what's going on. Think next time before you want to post something like that. And in very few instances, honestly, in like two instances, I've had to go as far as to ban somebody from the platform because they were unwilling to kind of acquiesce to the community. But the only reason why that works 
works is because it's a relatively small and focused community. This is a community of only a few thousand people, not millions and millions of people. And so it's much easier to direct a culture, to create a community, to create norms that people can kind of follow, even when they only, even when you start new on pitch, it's, it's pretty quickly, you're pretty quickly able to kind of like get the feel of what the vibe is here. Uh, and, and also this is still a creative and like vibrant community where there's plenty of like dick jokes and borderline, you know, kind of like, whoa, you know, offensive jokes, I suppose, uh, in some ways, I, you know, certain topics have become off limits, stuff like that, but for the most part it works, but it only because it's a small community. So uh, that I think is the only way that moderation works. And I think we're hitting this like human limit of community. You remember that old study that was like, um, you can only like a, a, a person can only handle having like a couple hundred friends or something like that. You, you know what study I'm talking about mm-hmm. where like you can only, I don't, but it's, it's intuitive that we have a limit. Yeah. That yeah. There's some human limit to like the number of people you can kind of like have a close relationship with to some extent and that our communities are kind of loosely guided by that. And I keep kind of thinking about, uh, something that I meant to research, but still kind of know nothing about of like the articles of like confederation or whatever versus the declaration versus, uh, the constitution, uh, like basically like how, when the United States went from like a looser, uh, grouping of States to, to, or do you know what I'm talking about? The articles of, uh, Jesus Christ. I can't believe I'm botching this history lesson. Uh, I, I didn't know we were going to be talking about the articles of confederation. Yeah, I'm I not sure either, where yeah. this is headed, but, but anyways, <laughs> but like becoming States that the United States, like essentially organizing the U S as States, Although it causes problems, it is it was a better organizational strategy than the one before it, and I think it's also a better organizational strategy than all of us being one large state. There's a reason why most countries are made up of provinces, and I think mm. that like what this is what we're running into that there is like a natural human boundary to the number of people who can be in a community and without there being severe ramifications. Is- and this is why Matt hates immigrants and wants them expelled from the country. Oh, There's just I knew too it. many people. I knew you were going to fucking take it there. <laughs> well, but I, but again, it's like degrees of kind. It's degrees of like, you know, look, nobody's saying there yeah. shouldn't be a border between the United States and Mexico. What we're saying is should that border be filled with spikes and guns or not? You know, I think there's like, should there be, should you not be allowed into various, like onto I'm, a website? I'm I'm saying there shouldn't be a border between the United States and um, and Alaska. Wait, no, that doesn't make sense. I was trying to make a joke. <laughs> Canada, where our massive impossible. border between the yeah. United States and Alaska. <laughs> there shouldn't be a border between the United States and Sweden. It would just be very technically difficult to pull off. Yeah. Well, I but I so I think that like we're. The incentives are clear, right? Facebook wants yeah. to have this massive centralized internet that they control the ins and outs of, that they control all money inputs and and they control what you see and all that sort of stuff. And they want to have their cake and eat it too. And part of like making a big capitalist company like that is a division of labor and is, you know, essentially just like how there's certain, you know, towns in China have like all make the same, you know, uh, they all make the same service 
servo motors or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like the diamond district in, uh, you know, New York, I don't know you start co- compartmentalizing the various aspects of your industry. Whereas prior to that, it was kind of like, you know, there was a blacksmith in every town. Now there's just one giant, you know, manufacturer that makes all the things they're trying to do the same thing with community moderation, where it makes a lot more sense. And it's much healthier for people to know your mod to like know the moderator mm-hmm. that you have for them to be a part of your community and for them to not only be accountable to it, but also know the norms of it. But when you try to save money and you try to centralize the internet, you end up instead with this, uh, you know, these externalities where you take all the moderators and you shove them in one place and they're left trying to moderate a gl- essentially a global community and it's impossible. Yeah. Oh, it's it, the scale is just it's it's too much. So I think and yeah. Oh, go ahead. It's it's too much. It's it's too much. I do wonder if the only way you could even approach it, and there might be legal hurdles of this, is just highly with high subjectivity, as opposed to the ways in which they're trying to optimize everything, and they have this accuracy score, and they have these rules where making fun of autistic people is okay, but making fun of other people isn't okay, and it, it just. It, it, it seems almost overly complex for the scale that they're grappling with. As an aside, that was interesting to me. I, I don't want to get too derailed, but it was interesting to me that uh, you could kind of joke on autism in a way that you couldn't on other things. And I don't, I, I think the, the comment was autistic people should be sterilized, but that comment was allowed to stay up versus if it was any other group, it would not be allowed to stay up. I am curious about this. I mean, this yeah, is this might, I, yeah, I, but this might this, this might this might speak to the arbitrary nature of our social mores. But the most popular TV show um, in America is a show called The Good Doctor, where a non-autistic actor portrays an autistic man as kind of this MacGyver type freak who's uh, who, whose just strangeness allows him to solve these medical emergencies. And this is America's favorite show. And I just I, I've, I've seen it a few times and I thought to myself, I have no quarrel with the good doctor. I don't want to take it off the television, but it is funny to me that this is okay, and I wonder if in a few <laughs> years it's not going to be okay. Interesting. Well, I guess I was actually – I thought you were going to mention the Big Bang Theory, which also has an autistic uh, this, character uh, autism, uh, autism minstrelsy or whatever you want to call it is big in America right well, now. Well, I it, yeah, it well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, it, I guess I think about that stuff – Quite a bit, actually, like the portrayal of... Do you think there's a through line where that kind of personality or the idea of the spectrum are now the overlords of society, so the uh, the hoi polloi (laughs) is having a good laugh at this type of person? Is that possible? That is the most cynical and paranoid read of that that I could ever think of. It's so funny. (laughs) That's what we're doing. The two most popular (laughs) shows are both doing this. The two most popular shows are doing this. What am I to make of that? Uh, My read was completely different, which was that, well, look, we're all sort of like grappling with the fact that we're actually all kind of on a spectrum of disability and autism. And it gives us a way of grappling with that aspect of ourselves. But your read of it was that, no, it's such an other that we're making fun of it and we hate our autistic ruler. 
I mean, I, don't you think my read might, <laughs> might might just seem a little more a little more accurate? I don't know. I they're both equally valid, I suppose. But it's a well, it's a it's something about like paranoia, right? It's like this level of paranoia mm. that I think is the same with portraying people with disabilities on television in general. This is something I think about a lot because my brother is intellectually disabled, and so I think about the portrayal of people like that on television, and if it's okay, and if it's not, or if it's empowering, or if it's not. Ted doesn't watch the shows. He doesn't give a shit. He watches baseball yeah. but like uh which is <laughs> which is itself well a stat I mean, this driven. is a totally different it, it is interesting to me to just see that people they don't know how to deal with your brother it's if, if they don't have experience they sort of just go off crazy assumptions and they change the way that they talk yeah. in this radical way so it's worth keeping track of just because it is an issue that people could stand to be a little better educated on and have some nuance, some nuance with. Yeah, totally. Just, you know, I, yeah, and to yeah. me, it's like about like exposure. It's always been about like inclusion, like including different people in your, you know, the representation is a part of inclusion, I suppose. But I, you know, I, I think that people get uncomfortable with things they're unfamiliar with and situations in which they could be perceived as doing the wrong thing and they start getting in their own heads about it. And I'm very very sympathetic to that uh, when people are, you know, interacting with my brother. And but for the most part, uh, you know, I think my brother brings a lot of joy to people because they when they, you know, have good positive interactions with him, they feel good about themselves. Ted feels good. He's, you know, a fixture in his community. Uh, and so uh, but we've kind of gotten off to on, onto a slight tangent. Yeah. But I, I, I don't mm-hmm. think it, it's crazy to kind of talk about this idea that uh, you know what is and isn't appropriate is being determined on like an algorithmic scale, right? It needs and, and to that, fit and into it's an inherently, algorithm. It's inherently somewhat arbitrary. Yeah, we're just I think yeah, it's we, arbitrary, and we're right. it's all of this is just dehumanization at a mass scale. It's this like intractable problem that Facebook is trying to to solve, where they're trying to figure out how do you dehumanize humans enough to corral all of them. And the whole, th- the, the problem is that the whole thing is fucking stupid. Like that's why I get, that's why I've been very frustrated by this debate on moderation of like, you know, like the solution. And I understand it. It's not a bad solution, which is just like pay these people more or make them full employees and like this kind of thing. But it doesn't solve the, like we shouldn't even be having this conversation. The whole setup is fucked. Like if this is how things have to be for the, for the Facebook based social media, media centralized based internet to work then there's a fucking problem like this is not a good way to run the internet this is not a good way to run society at all we need to tear this down and redraw do a new thing well perhaps but that that ain't gonna happen so this is (laughs) no even if i say it enough times (laughs) then it will (laughs) well yeah i man it's it, it it's I, it's a fascinating one and um I, I, yeah I, well I'm here just to I do stuck just on to this address idea that of what's okay wait here just well, hold I, on I, before I, we get to that because I think we yeah. we have a we'll get I think we because we want to talk about that other article which gets into that more like what is and isn't okay to talk about where do you draw I, I, boundaries I want, I, but I do want to say this I have noticed it does yeah. seem to me like more and more people over the past year or so have been talking about how shitty Facebook is and how shit all this stuff is and I do think that like. People are talking about it more. They're figuring out how to think about it. And I don't think that we're that far away from changing this because all it takes is for everybody to be like, fuck this and for something new to emerge. But anyways, that's that's that might be so. But the thing the the thing that we're never going to really be able to figure out is why certain things are okay in certain contexts and other things are not. That's the forever debate on the Internet. And sometimes I just wish that people people have this strong need 
to explain it as though it's been handed down from the tablets, right? It's this, well, this is okay because, well, in this instance, it's 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 prejudice plus power, and in that instance, it's not, or in this instance, it's more this, and this. I think we'd almost be better off sometimes just saying, it's a little arbitrary. It's a little, we're, we're kind of making it up as we go well, along. You, this, uh, there, there are some reasons for why certain things are and certain things aren't, but we, we shouldn't pretend as though we have a firm... That there is some firm rule or rubric determining all of this. It's 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 just like language where it evolves and there is a lot of flex in it. Well, I think at a certain point, so the difference, uh, so the closest that I've come, the closest analog to all this stuff in a lot of ways is uh, the standards and practices. When you work on a TV show, uh, a lot of your time working on the TV show is spent coming up with like cool things that you want to show people on television. But then uh, an almost equal and sometimes more amount of your time is spent getting notes back from standards and practices telling you why you can't do those things. And why why the, the thing, the joke that you wanted to pitch needs to be like changed or modified so that it doesn't mention this thing. Why the image that you want to show, like, you know, I, <laughs> you want to show an image of like somebody holding a gun to a kid's head. And it's like, ah, you can't do that on television. Or, But it's like, but it's really funny in the context of this joke. It's like, no, no, no. You have to like darken the child, like the, the, the the child so it looks like they're in shadow you have to like make the gun just be like alluded to or like things like this that like basically ruin the jokes over and over and what you realize is really what your job is is not coming up with funny things uh, you can come up with funny things for free and say them to people your job is coming up with funny things that fit into the standards and practices that the lawyers at the that work for the company that you're putting things out on uh, will allow you to do because it's like the least risky you know thing for them to put on the air and that kind of becomes your job that's why you make so much money is being able to like come up with things that are still interesting but still fit into the standards and practices and i think we have to understand when we're asked to do the same thing on these platforms we're doing work we're no longer participating in an open platform we're now participating in a corporatized platform that is there to make sure that the advertisers on the platform are still happy which and that and also that the platform itself won't be sued which is exactly the same function that these standards and practices lawyers uh serve yeah i i i think that's that, that's all very accurate and do you want to shift to the next moderation blog post the fascinating blog post uh, by Slate Star Codex. Can you talk um, about what that is? I had no idea what that was. I, I hear he's a Nazi. No, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what we're going to be discussing this, uh, the, the, this moderation, this, what was it, a subreddit where people were spreading rumors about him, erroneous rumors, and that he was worried about his reputation. Um, Slate Star Codex, I think he might have been one of the original commenters on Slate, on Slate articles way back in the day. Um, and I think it's spun off into a blog and there, he, he's come up with some concepts that people have adopted on the internet to describe internet discourse. One of them is the Mott and Bailey. I don't know if you've encountered that or no. familiar with that. So I, I think, and I don't want to screw this up, that it's this idea of people advancing certain radical positions by saying the radical position that they really believe 
Then they get called on it and they retreat and they say, I'm just saying, and they give a less radical interpretation. Mm. And it's that kind of dance. And there's this analogy between, you know, being out in the Mott versus in the Bailey. I don't know which one's which. One is the safety of the castle and the other is kind of this area outside the castle. And as you say the thing outside the castle and you get criticized because it's radical and then you retreat back, you know, you retreat back to the castle. Mm. And I'm trying to even come up with a trying to come up with an example well like uh like i really i think that mark zuckerberg should be drawn out into the public square and shot in the head yeah that would be definitely that would be definitely a position that you would be criticized whoa 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 no i'm sorry i meant that metaphorically i was just saying that i think that you know mark zuckerberg needs to be good if mark zuckerberg would be held to account yeah i just that's all i'm saying i just think that he should be you know we need to think about a little bit harder some of the things that mark zuckerberg is doing and he needs to think about them too so that was and, that was and that's, Ma, all, I'm, and that's, and that's all I'm saying. Right, yes. Right, and right. that's OK. So you, you understand <laughs> it. So that's exactly. And you, you will now see this everywhere on the Internet. You will now right. see that this this dance. But the, but it was coined here. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Mott and Bailey It was coined there uh, by this guy, Slate Star Codex. And so uh, it, it seems that he uh, there was a discussion thread. Was it a was it a Reddit? I'm trying to remember what it, it was. It sounded like so he it sounds like he runs a subreddit. Forum. And yeah. by the way, subreddits are something that we should mention as being like a slightly better way of organizing communities. I think Reddit has its own issues, but it is probably the best of these right now because it's broken up into multiple sub communities, you know, hundreds, thousands of sub communities that are then moderated by members of those communities. And it's often said that like kind of the smaller subreddits are the better ones because they have like the mods that care about them that are a part of the community. Oh, it sounds like he ran way- one of these. By the way, we might even have to take a break and read because this guy just posted an article on the Verge article we just discussed. Oh, did he? Uh, called In Mod We Trust. <laughs> um, so, so he ran, uh, he ran a subreddit that it would be because he's a smart guy and a bit of a heterodox thinker. Uh, his audience was from across the ideological spectrum and he did various surveys and it was almost evenly spit, split between Democrats and Republicans um, or right wing and left wing. And so there would be these rich uh, discussions and mostly civil, but he had to be in charge of keeping it civil. He had to be in charge of doing that. And it, 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 it takes a lot of work. Moderation requires a tremendous amount of work. I, I remember years and years ago, uh, Tanahasi Coates was on a podcast because he used to have this blog at The Atlantic, and he was saying that most of what he was doing, and this is before he blew up and became <laughs> uh, the sort of cultural figure that he is, but most of what he was doing when he had that blog was just moderating the discussion and eventually he just wanted to give that up because it was another <laughs> You know what? Job. I think maybe actually maybe actually every American should spend a year serving as a mod to understand yeah. the plight of the mod. Oh, just like 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 it's like like the Israeli army that yeah, would be exactly. our thing yeah, instead yeah. of you have instead of you have to join the Israeli army you have to moderate a comment section. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think that would be uh, that would probably be good that we would all have that shared experience. I think it would make us a, a tighter knit society. Maybe it's uh, that or there is like just this eventuality that in, a, in modern day America, at some point you will, whether you want to or not, find yourself becoming a mod for about a year and then give it up. <laughs> <laughs> you can't avoid it. I certainly didn't set out to become one. No, 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 no. And I, man, so he... He, he has this. There's all this rich discussion. Uh, it's related to his name. 
And ultimately, it's a very it's it's a fairly long article describing how he had to get rid of it or disassociate himself from it completely because and he was also drawing the analogy to what happens in all these publications and he was listing all the different publications that have gotten rid of their comment sections and he was saying they're not being honest with you as to why the reason is that they're terrified that this eventually becomes a reputational cost that the things that are happening in the comment section if you don't moderate them get used as ammo and artillery against you and people saying these are your readers these are your fans this is what you tacitly endorse and everybody else not really knowing what the truth is right they see this example of what's discussed in your article or discussed related to your article and if it's some nazi guy talking about nazi things then that gets attached to your reputation and maybe the new york times because they already have a reputation can deal with that and that's not going to hurt them so much but if you're a smaller fish it's a bit bigger of an issue and he describes the nervous breakdown that that, that he that he underwent uh, because of this and because people were trying to eventually highly ideologically motivated people were trying to uh, damage him because uh, because of this section or because of things that he said and they would call up his work and they would dox him and it just became too much trouble and eventually he gave up and he basically said at the end of it all that he's not a martyr but he wants to just give this example so people are aware of the pressures in participating in conversations honestly on the internet right now that we have entered into something that look we have free speech we do we can say what we want within within reason you know without if, if you actually said that zuckerberg something bad should happen to him then that would be obviously illegal but for the most part we have it but there there's something about the internet currently that is making discussion of things impossible um, and so what was your take on the article, Matt? You know, have I summarized it well? Was there anything? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's an interesting article. It, it really gets into like, yeah, the depths of modding. And I think that, uh, I do think that his point, his like interesting point about the progression of a comment section and you eventually being held responsible for your comment section. And I do think that like you eventually become your comment section in some ways is like a very mm -hmm. interesting observation on a long enough time scale you become your comment section which dovetails very well with my hypothesis that twitter is just the comment section for the world and we're all becoming the world and we're kind of doing the same things uh to twitter into the world in a way writ large i think it just kind of overall it just speaks to the flaws of this system and that we need to take it seriously and i think if we're gonna consider call these things community so the other thing that was interesting about the his article was his description this, his description of this thread, uh, the culture wars thread, that kind of was what was the bane of his existence, which was like an anything goes conversation about controversial topics. And he also described how modding made that space, which normally could be seen as like a cancer pit, into one where very interesting discussions were allowed to take place. So uh, in all of these things, I just kept thinking about 4chan. I always think about 4chan. As being like the ultimate version of a lot of these things where I can't escape the fact that like I still go there and I want to kind of keep tabs on it because like it certainly I have my hypothesis that 4chan is like a keep on the Internet and whoever ideologically holds that keep ha wields a lot of power, which is why, you know, one of the reasons why I think it was very helpful for the Donald Trump campaign uh, was because, you know, he had that keep whether he knew it or not. Uh, but you know, 4chan itself is one of these unregul, un you know, it 
it unmodded to some degree space where this kind of honest conversation happens and there's power to those conversations and you want to try to harness those. Uh, and in spaces like the thread he discussed where people can you know, whatever the parameters are where you can have honest discourse, horrible things happen, but also very intelligent people want to play. Like there's something about mm -hmm. smart people that they want to mess around in these areas and mess around with speech and ideas that they're not necessarily normally that there are other that there are other places where they can flex these muscles. This is uh, similar to my theory about Ann Coulter that Ann Coulter it's all I don't want to say it's like a performance piece but like Ann Coulter is essentially she just wants to play devil's advocate with the smartest people she can find because the only joy she gets in life is outsmarting somebody from a like putting forward an indefensible position and then outsmarting somebody with how well she can play devil's advocate on that position. That's the intellectual exercise that she wants to participate in because she's very smart and I guess very bored. And that's what she like enjoys doing. And I do think that there's like this inter interesting intellectual exercise. Did you, did you, by the way, did did you talk with her at all? I mean, this is a, another tangent, but did you talk with her at all when she was on that 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 short lived show that you wrote for, where they were discussing? Uh, it, it was Moshe Kasher's show, and they were discussing the alt right. Did you have any conversations with her in the writers' room? Did that happen? Uh, no, she like the guests. Uh, uh, certain writers were assigned to certain guests to like prep them. I wasn't on that episode mm -hmm. as as guest prep, so I did not. Uh -huh. I was a part of like putting that episode together, obviously, but like. Um, I did not directly, unfortunately, uh, get to talk to Ann Coulter, I suppose. Yeah. Although my understanding was I don't, you know, with certain guests. Who, I, I know some people listening would, would react Ann Coulter is, uh, is, is effectively the devil, but you should have some understanding of what Coulter is saying because, look, she's probably one of the most influential political figures. Yeah. Donald Trump got elected following her book. That is what happened. Yeah. That is a And she called it. You can see it on Mar. I mean, she's a very, like, I, I came out of that. One, I thought that that's a very interesting show to watch. The If you can find the extended cut, I think, that they made of uh, mm. Problematic with Moshe Kasher that with Ann Coulter, I think Kasher did a really good job talking to her. And it was an interesting dynamic. It was all about the, I don't know. It was a cool episode. Um, but I think, um, the thing about Ann Coulter, she, she herself describes herself as a writer, not as a pundit, not as a, po a politician, not as a policy person. And I think that she gives herself that artistic license, I think, which is something that I didn't understand about her, that I think she almost considers herself more of an artist than she would, you know, an academic or something, if, if that's like a spectrum. Th that episode, because I was in the studio audience for that episode, that episode was fascinating just because there was this other guy on the episode, what was his name? Lucian, yeah, Lucian Winter is I think? the name. Lu yeah, who's a kind of a pipsqueaky type of dude, a sort of younger guy who seemed very drunk. Yeah, yeah, he, and, got, he, got, he got drunk. <laughs> and her, and most of her ire was not directed at Moshe, who's liberal. It was directed at this kid because this kid was not performing correctly. Yeah. He was not acting like a professional showbiz person. So she kept she kept tweaking him and she kept throwing little shots at him between breaks 
for getting too drunk and not staying on topic. She seemed more offended by his lack of showmanship than anything Moshe was saying. Yeah, which I think also tells you something interesting about Ann Coulter. Like, this is her job. This is what she does well. She goes on shows and she keeps doing it because she's good at it. There's this, like, performative aspect to being a media figure like her. Look, I, you know, I, I think I'm coming off right now, like, really sucking Ann Coulter's dick. <laughs> but, like, I, 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 I disagree Coulter with... Coulter apologist. Yeah, no, I disagree with her very strongly, but I like that. Should should we just state the obvious that Matt's politics, Matt's (laughs) politics are very much the inverse of Ann Coulter's politics? Is that something we even need to state? Yeah, no, I don't think we need. I I feel like that's quite obvious. But no, but I, but I think that like you know, I think she's good at what she does. I think she's interesting. She's an interesting figure to track. Which is, you know, why she keeps popping up. You can't get rid of Ann Coulter. She's always there doing Ann Coulter things. You can hate her all you want, and I certainly do. But, uh, yeah, I respect that she exists, and I certainly don't want her dragged out into the public square and drawn and quartered. I don't think that she deserves that. Uh, But uh, unlike Mark Zuckerberg. I'm just not that's not what I'm saying I'm not saying that I'm that's a metaphor for what I'm saying I'm actually saying that Mark Zuckerberg should maybe just take an hour you know just take an hour and think a little (laughs) bit deeper about Facebook just once like once that's what I'm saying but uh, I do think that um, I don't know the 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 thing that the the slate star codex guy was getting at with what is an interest what is interesting discourse where can it live I I don't know it Intelligent people want to be able to use the internet to have the kinds of conversations that they can't uh, sometimes in person. There's like, there's, I, I was thinking about this distinction. There's the things that we can think, there's the things that we can say, there's the things that we can publish, and there's the things that we can act on. And I think that we're like, what the internet is doing is like flattening all those things in a lot of ways. And I think one of the reasons why I like 4chan is like, and the anonymous nature of it is because it gets you closest to conjoining your thoughts with other people because you don't have to worry about this being publishing or this being your reputation or this being anything. You can pretend to be anyone. You can espouse any opinion just to see what it feels like. You can try things. And I think there's like a profound power to that. And I think there's a lot of interesting lessons to be learned from merging your thoughts with other people. I think that it's dangerous and I think it's something that should be respected. And I think people need to learn how to draw boundaries. It's very easy to get sucked into something like that and let it, you know, for example, like irony poison you. But to me, I think it always serves as a good test of my convictions to like expose them to the hottest of fires and to see where I come out. And I think I come out with much more nuanced and interesting you know, perspectives on my ideas should, because should, of it. should we also should, should we also state the obvious that your politics are not the politics of 4chan uh, just by virtue of being Jewish? I think not. <laughs> it, it, it always amazes me how quickly when I'm arguing earnestly within two threads, somebody calls me Moisha or rabbi or whatever. People immediately like call me out for being a Jew. And it is like it just happens that I am Jewish, I believe. But it's because I'm like spouting liberal like ideas or whatever. But like I've seen arguments on 4chan that are among the smartest I've ever seen. Uh, 
there's one that always sticks with me which was I was arguing with somebody about like the, you know, like, I don't know, like IQ and stuff like that. And like, you know, they always like to put up like the bell curve kind of shit about how, you know, the the spectrum of IQs between races or whatever. Uh, And people always like to make the argument on there or whatever that like, uh, you know, African-Americans, you know, should be exterminated because like on average on IQ tests, they perform lower or like, you know, that kind of like typical shit. And it'll be it'll be fun when that part of the podcast is excerpted, Matt, <laughs> and used denuded well, of context. Uh, to ruin well, your I'm life, sure. Well, yes, here, continue. but this was a, a, an interesting argument that some I was like trying to argue against this, you know, trying to come up with arguments like it's a lot of like sparring and arguing and things like figuring out what the best way. And somebody came in and started arguing and I didn't realize that they were on my side until like the third or fourth step of their argument that I thought was very it was such a good interesting argument which was that they showed that those same like I think it was like a slightly different graph of like success and education rates uh, of African Americans in America and it showed it during uh, like the the 40s and 50s, like at the or basically like the height of Jim Crow through the civil rights era, and how suppressed that was. You know the incomes for these people, and basically the argument that he was making on 4chan was like, you do agree that there, that during this time there was overt racism keeping African Americans down. Right. And everybody agreed to that. Yes, of course. And what this guy, the argument that this guy was getting towards was that that racism is still exists that still exists today. It was kind of arguing against the like uh, people who are like, well, there's no now that's reverse racism. It's not racist towards these people. But he showed that those that those statistics haven't changed much between then and now. And so the idea being that, like, if th- under overt racism, you know, incomes were suppressed for African-Americans and those incomes are still suppressed. The only thing you can deduce from that is that racism still exists. It just is not in the same form that the, that there are still forces suppressing people uh, that and it just has taken a different form. It's like the old onion video that was uh, celebrating um, basically ce- celebrating racism for getting rid of racism in the public sphere and suppressing it. That's like the worst way to describe that joke. But anyway, I, I, that was an interesting argument that I'd never seen before. Well, and I saw somebody okay, me, delivered on 4chan you, and me, I thought it was excellent. That's all very interesting, but I have to ask you the question, dude. What are you doing? Why are you on 4chan <laughs> tilting at windmills? What is this quixotic quest of yours to go on 4chan as a Jewish liberal and and, and argue with the forces of 4chan? What is going on? Why? <laughs> Why are you taking it upon yourself to be a volunteer moderator? In a oh, way? Uh, well, it really it's for my own arguments. It's for my own thoughts to like hone my own thinking. Because I, I, I mean, to some degree, it, I, as I said before, it's also to like keep tabs on what what's going on there because I think it's an important space. But like because I was having these arguments, like I you I start having arguments and seeing arguments from the other side that then essentially become mainstream or leak their way into the mainstream six months later. Like and I've already yeah. seen it before. Like it really is a direct correlation. Like this is like the the id of a lot of like right wing and of like hate thought. And one, I think getting in there and trying my arguments against it to see what sticks and what doesn't is good. But also just seeing what they're up to, I think, is very it's just feels so much more relevant. It's also so much faster than trying to, like, sift through, like, 
op, like florid op-eds by like conservative thinkers and try to deduce what they actually are thinking when you can go on 4chan and just see oh these you know this is the racism and the xenophobia that they're like you know <laughs> espousing there definitely is a pipeline from stuff nobody could admit to reading to eventually uh, mainstream discourse um, moderated. There's that word again. Uh, you, you definitely you definitely see well, that. You know, once you're aware of it, you, you, you see I it. I mean, you sh it should be noted that 4chan is a modded board. Like, even 4chan mm -hmm. itself, there are janitors. It's like they believe a volunteer position. I can't even imagine what that's like. That, like, has to be oh, the white-hot center of it. <laughs> oh. But, like, the things oh, that don't God. make it to 4chan, the people who mod 4chan, I mean, Jesus Christ. But, like, there are people who want that, who want to see that stuff. And there are phases of people's <laughs> lives. They're actually just moderating out reasonable opinions. <laughs> it's not It's not the most violent right. stuff. No, it's it, just somebody, I, I think it's mostly... Somebody say, it's just somebody saying, you know, everybody should be a little nicer to you. <laughs> each other well i think it's mostly child porn i think like it's crazy how oh, much God. people want to post child porn on the internet it's fucking nuts jesus uh and oh. so i think a lot of it is like weeding that out uh but i i think that it's interesting to me that there is a phase and i think people's in many people's lives where you want to see crazy shit on the internet where you want to see like violent oh. when i was a teen i loved those websites where there was like yeah i mean that's that's something and, like, i was going to say and crazy shit like that yeah and i think that oh, there yeah. needs to be a place where people can see that stuff in the proper context and once this is sort of my argument about this modding shit that like once you subsume the whole internet onto your corporate friendly platform like Facebook, then of course that stuff is going, then there are no other spaces. There is no rotten.com. Mm. There's no like, you know, uh, like well, I, I ugly do think, I do think people consumption I, I, junction. I think there people, are no websites where you can get this stuff. So of course it leaks onto Facebook. I, I do think people will find those things still, but that where? is an urge people... I, I, I mean, you listed some websites. None like, of them exist of them anymore. Them All of those websites are gone. Oh, wow. I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, that's the but thing. I, These I, dark corners of the internet, they existed and everything was fine. It was the same with like Stormfront. This is my same argument that I just keep doing. It's like nobody fucking had problems with Nazis on the internet when they were confined to their own shitty little websites. Nobody fucking mm. cared. Like, yeah, sure. They were have, you know, maybe they were building up their populations. Maybe they were like, they were converting people, but it was so marginal that it really didn't affect things. And it let the rest of us like do actual cool shit on the internet. Once you centralize the internet onto these social platforms, then you like that. This is the only place where those people can go to exchange ideas. The only place where there's money and attention and eyeballs. And that's what you're running up against. And that's why conservatives are so angry that they can't say racist things on Facebook. Give them a website where they can say racist things and we can all fucking ignore them. That's what free speech is. This is such a subversive argument or such a such a different kind of argument. This is to um, me the they, only they... rational argument about this. <laughs> well, it's it's so hard because everything can get infected. I mean, this goes back to the this goes back to what Scott Alexander was saying about they're afraid. These publications are afraid. The New York Times is afraid. Um, I understand the fear. We talked last time about how I wound up in the news cycle, and you just never know. You never know where it's going to end. And I've been in situations at publications where something happened in air, and there was a controversy, and a lot of what makes you paranoid and crazy isn't the controversy blowing up. It's that it hasn't blown up yet, and you don't know whether it will. Mm. 
you don't know how big this is going to get. Nobody's in control of it. Nobody's in control of the scope. And it can go like that. And that's ultimately what freaks people out. Uh, yeah. Uh, panic. Paranoia. These are the kinds of, mm -hmm. I mean, like those are like the forces, like I keep thinking about paranoia so much that oh, yeah. parent, that all I, that like, uh, and even though I, I was thinking about it even before when you were talking about your read on, on autistic characters in, in the good doctor or whatever, I think there's like one read, which is that I, I, that believing that people see this and understand the nuances of it and see it as an accepting thing. But then there's the paranoid read of it where it's, no, this is cynical. This is exploitation. And it, and, and, and it's easy for things to, to flip between trust, uh, between trusting and paranoid. And it's all about the context that it's in. And this is the same reason why, like, people, I'm sure there are people who still enjoy Facebook and go there and post things and, and share things with one another. But now, because I'm paranoid about Facebook, because I've seen this darker side and I, you know, for good or for ill, I cast all these, like, negative things on it. When I go there, mm -hmm. I just see a cesspool. I just see addicts. Well, I just see can, can the, 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 the paranoid side, the, the non-trusting, the... The, the cynical side, the dark side of it, when it's perfectly reasonable if you showed me a screenshot of Facebook and I knew nothing that I context out of context that I would think that this is a perfectly normal space. Well, OK, so I, I, I don't think about it in terms of paranoia necessarily I think about it in terms of angst. It's just an angsty place where people are voicing their angsty politics. But there is paranoia that's part of it. I do want to ruminate a little bit on the impulse towards viewing something dark or something yeah, sick or too. twisted. I've certainly done it. I've had the feeling of doing it out of curiosity and then feeling sick afterwards, mm -hmm. right? And people, mileage might vary. And there's a whole range of this kind of thing. In basketball, in sports, it used to be if somebody got their leg completely shattered right. or twisted around like a pretzel, they would just play the replay again and again and again. And recently, recently, this new sensibility has cropped up where they won't show it. Yeah. And part of me doesn't like that because it's what happened, right? It's part of what happened. It's it, it's an explanation of the degree or the scope of, of, of what occurred. But that's a conversation that's ongoing. And I think social media increased the sense of sensitivity surrounding yeah. it. Yeah. Um, well, I th it's something, well, I think it's just a function of throwing us all in the same boat together. Like some people want to mm -hmm. see that stuff and they don't mind it. And some people don't. And I do think you should maybe respect the wishes of the people that it happened to, to some degree, but I mean, I, it gets into well, sticky situations, but, a, the, but I don't the, think that you should hide disturbing well, images. I have a suspicion. Here, here's my suspicion. More people want to see it than don't want to see it. But far fewer of those people want to admit that and loudly admit that than the people who don't. Yeah, but want also to I think, are, but yeah. you also need to be the relationship with those things need to be that you can seek them out. Like, um, remember how how much like I feel like nobody talks about um the MPAA rating system anymore. Maybe it's just because I'm not a kid anymore. Yeah. But I feel like there used to be so many like discussions about like what is rated R, oh, yeah. PG thirteen. Again, it really could be because we're not kids anymore and because we're allowed to watch whatever we want. But a more interesting to me is that I like the as an adult I like that system because if a movie is not rated R I'm not gonna watch it <laughs> yeah it takes a lot more because it's like Allie, I want something that's for Allie's adults. the same way Ali will judge a movie a certain kind of movie and go well that's PG-13 I mean how good could it yeah. be yeah yeah and so the like rating systems are almost are like this interesting thing where 
uh, it, it can benefit you as well. And I wonder if that was always the case. I, I don't know. But it, it, they, they, I, th this idea of regulating what you see, because I think there is this, this understanding that people have that what you see becomes who you are, what you experience becomes who you are. Yeah. And so you become scared to experience things because you're afraid that they're going to change you. Is that an incorrect fear? Because didn't it, wasn't it alleged or asserted in the Verge article on the moderators that the moderators were becoming more like the things they were consuming? They were, they were starting to believe. They were starting to believe in the paranoia. Yeah. They were starting to believe the conspiracy theories. And you know, somebody might take a look at us talking about Ann Coulter and say, "Well, if you're keeping tabs on what Ann Coulter is saying, if you're trying to figure out what's going on 4chan." inevitably you're going to get those cooties and you're going to become like those people. And that's just, that's, that's, that's the, is that a crazy thing for people to think? I don't think so, but I do think, I mean like, but like, for example, I like exposing people to things that like might slightly disturb them. I think mm. like in my work, I should say the, the, the things that I write and the things that I, they, that I mix, I like having a little bit of edge and spiciness to them. One, because well, uh, comedy, comedy, some have theorized is a game of benign violation sure. of, of vi violating in a way that is harmless and it's known that it's harmless. And that's, I mean, that, 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 that's a difficult game to play, especially in the current context. Yeah, and people go with you sometimes and they don't. The, the example I think about a lot was I worked on this serious sex house that was kind of like a horror show, like a comedy that like satire for the onion that became very like horror based. And we did this follow up called Pork and Across America that was very much like a body horror kind of thing that was much darker and more disturbing. And you get a lot of people. I get a lot of people who love Sex House um, talk to me. But then I also get a lot of uh, a fewer but like significant number of people who are like Sex House was cool, but Porkin was fucking great. Who like are mm. and like you look at the views of you know Sex House has like tens of millions and Porkin has like tens of thousands, <laughs> like hundreds of thousands. Huh. Much few, fewer people wanted to see it, but those that watched it and liked it loved it, uh, and which I'm glad about. But it was less popular. But still, in Sex House, there were a lot of like darker and more disturbing things. And I think it's like playing with these levels of what do people, what's too far for people, what's just enough that people like it. Like Game of Thrones is a very disturbing show, and it's massively popular. But yeah. so like what what is the balance of what you put in a show such that people like disturbing imagery versus one that goes too far? That, that's something that I like. Well, to, and I Game of about. Thrones has always been debated, too, where they used to have a lot more female nudity um, and that that they eventually phased out. But they, it seemed like they kept the incest. They, they, they kept the <laughs> I think they've had around. to keep the incest. And I think there's been an uptick in male nudity. Uh, which I yes. think has been great. I think there's, I think it's very funny to show dicks. Though the only problem with showing dicks on screen is that they're always funny. Dicks, they're just always. Dicks funny. are always shocking. They're always shocking too. Whoa, it's a dick! Oh man, did it's, you it's did you very, watch Arthur's episode? My, uh, Arthur Meyer, uh, a friend of mine. Did you watch his his episode of High Maintenance recently? I have not. Oh, uh, Arthur Meyer, uh, he's what head writer for Jimmy. Yeah, Fallon? he's one of the is head writers of the uh, of the sketch at Jimmy Fallon. He's a very funny guy and a, 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 a really a, a lovely man. But he's he's very comfortable uh, with nudity, and he's been on high maintenance a couple times as a character that's like a nudist. And in the most recent episode that he was on, there's this amazing shot, and it's such a rare shot of the back of his balls when he crouches down. 
Like he crouches <sighs> down to pick up mail and you see like the back of his dangling balls. It's <laughs> it's so funny. It's such a good shot. And you realize when you see it that you've like never I don't know if I've ever seen that shot on television. Well, why <laughs> <It's> so good? <laughs> why this why I would ask it seems like our generation and the younger generation are less comfortable with nudity than the older generation. If you go into the JCC locker room, you see nothing but these ha- the, the, these gray-haired, <laughs> saggy-skinned, just uh, old. But I do feel like I feel like Jewish it's also men as you, waddling around, yeah. and and the younger people are all in their towels. Yeah, I do feel so, like I I think it just happens as you get. I feel like I care less as I've gotten older in general. Maybe it's just like getting older, you don't care as much. But I do, but I don't know. And that's not to negate your point about no, the younger I think this generation is a real, wanting more this regulation. Is a, th- 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 this is a real shift. In the old days, in the 60s, it was hit the showers. And if you were after. <laughs> and the boys would go to the showers school. and jerk each other off, and nobody thought it was gay. <laughs> We were just having fun, just me and my friends. <laughs> it was a different. And then Kennedy got shot, and oh, everything God. changed. Uh, Suddenly, you couldn't but, blow a guy look. without thinking of Kennedy's head exploding in the back of that car. Oh God! But 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 what I'm saying is that there was more of a sense that we're going to be naked around each other, and that's part that, that in a way I think that was even a crucible, that was even a a, a, a hazing process. You would have to go through that discomfort. <laughs> and I remember when we were in high school, on the last day of school, some kid actually showered in the shower really? area and it was shocking <laughs> yes yeah i missed that that's really funny <laughs> i don't think you were in my pe class for that but he showered in the shower area and this this kid was oh this kid's a real rebel that he did that this kid is i mean this kid's got some confidence to do that because nobody did that everybody just exercised they they they, they ran around and then we just put on our new clothes and nobody showered anymore and i i don't know what to attribute that to i'm not sure yeah. i mean i maybe have paranoia I have maybe it's the same thing we used to trust each well, other tr- well, trust being around each general... other and then we got scared that like the pe teachers were molesters because some of them were or something <laughs> well i think i mean one theory that you might want to add is that um, in a lot of societies, uh, if you go to societies that have zero tolerance for homosexuality, zero, you'll see men interacting with such a level of physical uh, affection that it would be considered gay in other contexts. Yeah. But in those societies, it's unfathomable that anybody could be like that. And the people who are like that, they must, you know, it's 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 tragic. They must hide and they must hide their 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 well, life. This is going back to the so, bakas, the thing that you didn't want to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the the Bakas of Afghanistan and Uzbekistan and Central Asia. Uh, but so you know, um, I, I think what happened in society, and it was a very good thing, is that we we start we we started to get a mainstream acceptance that there were gay people, and Will and Grace was on television in the '90s. It was the '90s, yeah, yeah. and it, it became a, a, an idea that you could be that thing. But I think what happened at the same time is that young boys became more homophobic in their 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 choices of dress because they wanted to signal perhaps mm. that they that they weren't that thing where when we were young everybody was paranoid about wearing short shorts right. just everybody started wearing baggy shorts that became sure but thing. as and but as was, homosexuality has then become more like maybe that was like a backlash because it does feel like mm-hmm. as homosexuality has become more accepted Kids are less afraid of that stuff, I think. Yeah, Kids are people less are wearing short shorts again. Being seen yeah, it's, it's coming. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's coming back. Like, we were in this liminal space where it was becoming more accepted, but there was enough homophobia 
um, with young people that they were still terrified of being this thing that was becoming more accepted. Yeah. And so it might be entering just a completely other phase where it's so accepted that people don't even care if they're considered the thing that they are, yeah. right? And so that will um, that will influence and maybe people will hit the showers again. <laughs> That's what we want out of this Ultimately, podcast. It, Young men are they they are running laps and they're just disgusting they're so and we sweaty. need a more you gotta take a sanitize <laughs> we will not society. stop until young boys are <laughs> nude and showering and and we want to if this uh, listeners if you're out there if you're a young child and you're nude and showering send us photos let us know show us that this is happening because we need to know we need proof that oh, finally no. society is turning back around send your nude no. photos uh syncing up pod at gmail.com no <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Ethan. I, uh, ah, I, I, I we got to take a quick break. I've got to I got to go jump on a another call, uh, okay. unfortunately. But let's pick this back up. Um, so sure. Let's take a quick... We need to talk about billionaires. We need to talk about billionaires. Yeah, we still got to talk about article. your article. Uh, so we'll do yeah. that uh, right after this. We are, we are back. I should tell the listener that I am in charge of a baby right now. Right now, he's eating he's eating a bib. You know, I don't think it's a toxic bib. I think among things to eat, that's pretty pretty good. But there might be sounds in the background. I might have to run around, uh, generally make sure that he is not hurting himself. So that is a warning. Ethan is moderating a baby. I am moderating a baby. That is true. You can hear it in the background. Hear it. Yeah. It sounds bad. Like my baby I'm referring to is an it. <laughs> <laughs> my pride and joy the uh, somebody I, I always fret over oh my god he just grabbed something and stood up on his own he's getting it, 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 I, I talk about my my own son the way sam harris speaks with rapt horror about the future of ai i'm just <laughs> he's taking oh over look what he's done he's taking over i don't think enough people are talking about this i don't think enough people are talking about what might happen when when ethan's baby reaches adulthood <laughs> ethan's baby the power of ethan's baby is increasing by the minute it's increasing um so i wrote an article we were going to talk about it uh yeah it was about to shortly summarize how the Warriors got their stadium built in San Francisco where it is impossible to build anything because it, it, it it's smaller than 50 square miles in, in that city. It was the last piece of good land. It was near downtown in the Mission Bay District that they built the stadium. And it was an arduous journey. And I am... The article I wrote, Matt, I felt was a bit of a Rorschach test in terms of the responses I got back. I got some... So, some responses that said I was kind of supplicating power and uh, kissing the ass mm. of billionaires. And I think other people mm. took it for what I would perceive it as, which is just describing what happened. Look, you know, we don't have to pretend. We do live in a society where billionaires talking to billionaires just create massive projects and consequences within our major cities. This is just the, mm -hmm. this is just the world we live in. I like depicting the mentality of such people. Joe Lake of the owner of the Warriors... 
He's a Daniel Plainview-esque figure. I have depicted him as such. I do not depict him as a humanitarian. I don't depict him as somebody who, st- who stays up all night worrying about the plight of the poor. Well, I think I think what most people were commenting on was the part of the story where you, what was it, you juggled his balls in your mouth? <laughs> That's content you can only uh, get at that? the Atlantic. Now, uh, and now it's time for phase three, Ethan, where I put my balls in your mouth. <laughs> no comment on that. He he did allude to a phase three of the highly successful Warriors franchise that's won all these championships and built the stadium. And it, to me, it was a little bit vague. But I think to myself, okay, so this is a different question and a different road to go down. If he is perceiving the Warriors like this thing that could be a stepping stone to something else in the way that Amazon sold books and then they became something else and Disney sold cartoons and then it became something else i don't even know what you do with a sports franchise to make it into the something Mm. else the i I don't know what you do but they have some sort of vision along those lines yeah it probably they're just gonna like sell out to china or something for a lot of money right that's probably the like quickest way for them to make a bunch of money china loves basketball china loves tech China's China, got money to throw around. China's tough. China's got a lot of Clay Davis types where they tell you, they tell the American businessmen when they come in there. I know the that the NBA got locked into this where they entered into a bunch of boondoggle stadium projects where they were told about all the money you'll make out here in China and then they get worked over by some people who are a little bit more savvy. Yeah, that tends to really? happen. That happened? Oh, yeah. China is always <laughs> high up in the corruption index. It's not oh sure but wait but that happened specifically to a bunch of like nba to like and the nba itself i'm not going to claim to know the exact details i just remember that there was there was supposed to be production on over 10 stadiums i think maybe around the time that we were living together in new york city (laughs) and i was always monitoring it and wondering are these stadiums actually getting built and how much money is getting sunk into these projects and it's something to follow up on. Maybe that can be another article I might write is whatever whatever happened to Project China. <laughs> you know, I always feel with the NBA that the NBA, there's a bit of boosterism with it. There's a bit of in, it, it, it's it, it's strange. It's almost like to to bolster their self-esteem. They need to tell themselves a narrative about what they are conquering that not everybody else is. They're almost like a Lakeup or the Warriors where they've got the future in their sights. And before, mm. with David Stern, the old commissioner, it was, we're popular around the world. China loves us. We're going to be the world sport. These other sports, they can't see it. But it's difficult to economically appropriate whatever is going on around the world. Maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe they are figuring it out. But it's transitioned instead, Matt, to a tale they tell themselves of, we're young. The kids on Instagram and on Twitter, they love us. We've got so much buzz. They talk about our players. Baseball, they're all old. All their fans are going to die. We've got the future. <laughs> the, the NBA, all their players are going to die. But <laughs> Every, <the> everybody dies. <laughs> the NBA. But we will die uh, not as quickly. In the end, right. um, so that, that that's a bit of um, a narrative they spin for themselves, I and mean, there's some truth to it. But I often wonder if they're just consoling themselves about the future because they can't necessarily get the present to be what they want it to be. The ratings have been dropping well, lately in the NBA. Oh, really? Well, the television ratings. Yes. Sure, but well, you know, I don't know. All of television is like cratering in some way or something, but. The well, but but this Lakeup fellow and these billionaires. The, the thing that really struck me was this idea that like 
that you kind of detail in there a little bit that like the billions and billions of dollars worth of deals are happening at the Warrior Stadium every game or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. or every season. That like this is where the deals get done. Uh, and the implications of that, and I mean, is that the kind of thing that Lakeup wants to, is like kind of Lakeup loves that. Into? Lakeup loves yeah. that. Lakeup, you know, Lakeup was a big venture capitalist guy at Cleaner Perkins, but he wasn't Cleaner and he wasn't Perkins, and he did well for himself, but he wasn't he wasn't famous. The last before he bought the Warriors, the last mention of Lakeup I think was nineteen in in the Chronicle was nineteen ninety seven when he was involved in buying a women's basketball team so it, it wasn't as though lake had that kind of profile and now he's this big guy in this world he cares about who's better known than some of these people that he would have looked up to as big time players and you've got this room at oracle arena this is the last season of oracle arena in oakland uh, called the Bridge Club, where they all hang out, all the billionaire tycoons of the tech world, and they rub elbows with celebrities. And I've seen, you know, around these hallways. My, my I have a strange job, Matt. By the way, like I, I, I should just say, where <laughs> I'm often walking around my whatever you might want to call my office, or just walking yeah. down the halls, and Jack Dorsey will walk in the other direction. <laughs> You know, I, I it's just the, these are the people hanging out at the Bridge Club. Mark Benioff, the uh, founder and CEO of Salesforce, which that's that's a company that is the dominant company in San Francisco, by the way, and in many ways one of the lesser known companies. It's just it doesn't have that kind of profile, like the business towering world towering over the city. Yeah, towering over the city. As I watched my son just unplugged something, he unplugged a phone jack from the wall. I hope that's okay. My defibrillator. <laughs> what do we use that phone jack for, buddy? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Um, but Mark Benioff, uh, so the way this deal went down, to give the quickest summary of it all, Mark Benioff had bought this parcel of land, 14 acres, in the Mission Bay District next to UCSF where he was this major donator, benefactor. So you wonder, also, you wonder, I'm sure that he loves UCSF and the hospital, but you wonder if there's some credibility afforded to donating so much that then UCSF doesn't put up a fight where you buy some land next to them. But anyway, um, moving aside on that, um, Salesforce grew so quickly that he didn't want to use that land in Mission Bay. They expanded the Colossus, as you mentioned, in downtown and built the Salesforce Tower, the tallest building in San Francisco. <laughs> as Asher comes over here and starts hitting the keys of the <laughs> hitting the keyboard with his hand, <laughs> adorably but distractingly, I should say. Get it all out there, Asher. Write your piece. Man. Write your <laughs> he wants to do what Daddy does. Um, <laughs> oh no! Get away, Asher! No, no. <laughs> so anyway, so basically, the, what happens? Benioff, who hangs out at the Bridge Club all the time. One day, because Lakeup is trying to get a stadium deal done on public land in the Embarcadero, San Francisco, it is impossible. There's so many regulations and neighbors fighting it. And Benioff goes, look, buddy, I'll hook it up. Give me, you know, good market rate for this land I own. I'm not even going to use it. Build your stadium here. I'll support it. I'm, I'll make sure that UCSF doesn't block it because I'm a big benefactor. Bada bing, bada boom. That's how the stadium gets done. It's basically a billionaire talking to a billionaire. And uh, that's that's how things get done in this town because it's such a small town. It wouldn't get done that way. I know it sounds like it would, but it wouldn't get done that way in some other 
in some other cities. San Francisco's got this odd combination of being right now on the world economic stage, of blowing up in the last half decade especially, um, and being tiny. So they all bump up against each other, and again, they all go to Warriors games together. Well, so there's this thing about, like, billionaires, right, where, like, we love them and we hate them because, like, you know, they did this thing that everybody's, I guess, going to be excited about, but is it, like, cool that billionaires are the ones deciding what happens and doesn't happen? Uh, uh, that they're the ones throwing their weight around. But then again, you know, well, you need what, like th- the great men philosophy of yeah. history or whatever. Well, where you think, need great figures to do great things. I think that they're, we almost need to be honest about the collection of their positives and their negatives. Where there is this certain perspective of speaking truth to power, the non-ball cupping, we might call it. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the perhaps... I, I these publications that are are more acerbic, often New York based. I sometimes surmise that perhaps there might be a little bit of uh, regional envy that they're focused so much on the Bay Area all the time with a negative tone. But there are things to criticize, to be sure. But we should be honest <laughs> the that Bay, the Bay Area, the play, the city at which all of the things that we hold in dear in New York are being destroyed. <laughs> Why are we covering it with such disdain? <laughs> Perhaps that's a good, uh, you know what, that is another angle to it that I didn't mention. I I made it about regional anxiety, but there's also New York is where the concentration of media is. And to use a term that's too often used, the Bay Area is what is disrupting all of that. So that's a disrupting a lot. Yeah. So that's another aspect of it. But I think we should be honest about these guys aren't all idiots, right? They've got some downsides. If I'm looking at people like Lacob. Is he arrogant? Yes. Is he acerbic? Yes. Is he empathetic? No. Is he stupid? No, he's not stupid. Is he ineffective? No, he's not ineffective. You could even compliment just the idea of the ambition. Things are getting done. Big things. Things that will be remembered. So I guess what I'm saying is, um, in a way, there's a way to talk about it and to write about it while not just being completely on the side of these guys are a bunch of tools that seems to be the uh, that, that seems to be the tenor struck and they, they are to, they are toolish but just that's not the only thing happening I, I guess is what i'm saying as i'm watching my my son wreak havoc over here yeah I, I yeah i guess it's just the sense of like well it's less that like are they tools and more like are they using all of us as tools or whatever you or, know? or like, do they like just what? i think that or do they just have too much power you know a lot of yeah it's like it's is this their world and we're just living in it yeah like that's the thing that i think people you know and, and obviously like there's a balance you know we're at a time where people are saying like there should be no billionaires it's a you know a moral scar that people are even able to collect that much money mm. uh and we're not allowed to you know be, because obviously no human being whatever the money is worth no one human being deserves to have so much more money that they can control the world around all those who do not like there's no reason you know there's no justification for that uh, and for not taking that money and putting it towards public works. Mm-hmm. But but then that's the thing is that people do feel some sort of, I, you know, we're happy when they do it. I, the joke I have is that, like, you know, Bezos I, should just build a cathedral. Mm. You know, like, why isn't Bezos building a cathedral for all of us? Why That's like what the, the patrons uh, in, in the olden days used to do was they made a giant public work 
that was a tribute to God and humanity. And you don't see that kind of ambition from a lot of these. Well, that is effectively what that's effectively what Joe Lacob is, is doing, except he can make money off of it, (laughs) which makes it a little bit less of a benevolent venture. But you know, there's a good argument for there should be UCSF expansion there and not, not an arena, but a lot of people like an arena. A lot of people in this area, few things in this area are better loved than the golden state warriors. And so, but then it gets into this other territory where San Francisco is a city. I mean, I don't know what to do about this, Matt. San Francisco as a city is not a city normal people can live in anymore, for the most part. Yeah. It's not a city, if you're a firefighter, if you're a teacher, uh, that you can live in. And to me, that that, just, yeah. that that makes it not really a city in the way I've thought of cities for my entire life. I just, I just don't understand how these people don't feel such great shame for this. Well, I think their perspective like, would be, look... They, they we, this is the economic engine. These people who have these jobs can work in cities surrounding, and we're creating great wealth for the region. And look, when they write yeah, the, but, you know, when but, they you know, write you know, the history of Rome, they don't talk about what I don't know what the standard like a blacksmith. Did they do that? <laughs> a marble smith? What was done yeah, back then? Like they, they, it's like it. They made the aqueducts and invented yeah. democracy. Those are the things that we talk about it's, in the Colosseum, the great works that were done, the things that yeah. still stand, you know? Mm-hmm. Not the number of boys that these rich men were able to fuck because they had enough money to get away with it or whatever. God. Yeah, well... But I, well, but here, but if this is an economic engine, if it mm-hmm. is, then it's an engine with barely any torque. You know what I mean? It's like an engine where it, like, it spins so fast and runs so hot, but it can barely pull the car. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's not bringing the passengers along with it. I would push back. These people don't have such great shame. I would push back on that because there's a 2016 book comparing the economies of uh, of L.A. versus San Francisco, because a lot of time there are too many differences when you're comparing cities, too many confounding variables. But there is a this was just an obvious compare and contrast study. And it argued that by going by going elitist, San Francisco had created a better economy for their region than L.A. had by having more democratic measures and more of a medium to low income focus. That in the end, the per capita income in L.A. is not too great. And it's comparable to cities like Detroit um, versus San Francisco, where it's it's a roaring economy overall. So in a Gordon Gecko greed is good kind of way. And there's more to it. I'm vastly oversimplifying. The size of San Francisco is a factor. Uh, the idea that... Yeah, it, we're also talking about... Is that just talking about San Francisco versus... It, I think the, the more apt comparison would be L.A. to the entire Bay Area. Mm-hmm. L.A. is the small yeah, metropolis it was, it was, made up of lots of neighborhoods. I think you'd want you'd need to do that for the whole thing. It was a regional comparison. And one second, he's eating, uh-huh. he's eating plastic. So I'm going to let you expound on your point as I get this out of his mouth from across the room. <laughs> do it. Digest it, Asher. Do it. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I, I comparing the city, I mean, but, but also like LA is a city, like California itself is just filled with like cities that are barely performing, uh, at the level that they should be. A lot of this, I guess, is because of things like prop 13 or something. I don't know. It's just like the yeah. wealth is not flowing. Like there's so much wealth, right? Mm. There's so much 
big money being made, but not enough of it is flowing out towards everybody else to make like these wonderful cultural hubs in the way that like New York City is. And, you know, New York City is like Manhattan is a place of like, you know, rapidly deteriorating culture, abandoned skyscrapers, or I should say skyscrapers that are owned by, you know, people who don't live there, Mm. whole city blocks that are, you know, don't have stores on them. I guess because the rent is so high, but there's no, you know, I mean, there's something put in something that people would go to. There's something to that. And the cost of living is too high. And the nimbyism is just Mm -hmm. ridiculous. Um, But I think the the counter argument would be, and I would have to find the book and, 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 and read over the book that in the aggregate on balance, it's worked out for more average people in the Bay than it has in, in LA that the wealth generation has spilled over more and, you know, cities, not just like Oakland, but all these surrounding cities have, have become, uh, better off economically for this having, for this having happened. Now I, I'm not an expert on these matters. I'm not, but it's interesting. It's an interesting study of compare and contrast. Um, and, I don't know. It's it's an interesting conversation because you're you're down there and I'm up here. <laughs> not not metaphorical. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. To me, it's like, why? What's all this fucking money good for if we're not making like awesome shit for everybody? You know what I mean? Like public works are the things that we remember and the things that we walk around and get excited about. And I don't see that ambition in a lot of these, you know, megalomania. Well, that's the I thing mean, about the. Well, that's we're talking the, about Lake of making a stadium. Yeah, and, and that stadium is going to be a gilded palace for a gilded age. Not normal people will not be able to have season tickets to that stadium. Season tickets are going to cost about a luxury car price per per year depending on where you are and i'm not even making that a that's not a joke i'm I literally mean that um so but but here i I guess like getting to the to the topic at hand i mean would like is lakeab are these tech figures what does this tell us about the ambitions of tech in the real world and I, well, uh, you know, is I, this an optimistic thing or not? Is this just another example of rich people ruining shit? Well, I, I think or is I, this I like the exception. Should we make the rich people build us great things with all the money that we're giving up to them? Well, I'm not sure. Those are some big questions. I, w- I would say uh, first off that what I like about Lakeub is that there just isn't a lot of bullshit. It's very, it's an unvarnished look at a kind of Silicon Valley mentality. He is a Randian, you know. He's not he's not hiding it. He's named his dogs after the protagonist Nyan Rand novels. So, you know, it, he I think is just very much overt uh, of having this objectivist sensibility that is about. Uh, being the great man in history and doing these big things and never care like all that other stuff that you're talking about is for somebody else to care about and i think and it's probably lamentable overall i can tolerate it more with lakeup he's not a better person for not caring but he's certainly more tolerable for not for not pretending that he's um saving the world or that he cares about that stuff right it doesn't make him but it, it just makes him easier to kind of deal with and understand in a way Honestly, but it, it is maybe lamentable that not enough of these people who have the power to do these things um, have those considerations for society. Now, Benioff, yeah, the, I guess but I, you know, it's funny. Benioff, no. on the other hand, is very much out and about uh, with 
caring about these things and trying to solve the homeless problem. And this might not be fair. Maybe I haven't studied Benioff enough, but I often roll my eyes and just feel like he's he's putting me on. So, hmm. yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. I guess I mean maybe this is like a test of like my like the, the I don't know my spirit for this stuff. Where like I I mean like obviously I think that we should tax billionaires more. We should like put more money towards public works. But I just don't. My ire just isn't as great for these guys like it is for people like Mark Zuckerberg, who I think should be drawn and quartered in the public square. <laughs> oh God! Uh, and and killed. <laughs> oh I'm, no! I'm that. That's a metaphor. That's a metaphor. I don't really mean that. I think that Mark Zuckerberg should maybe just type like "I'm sorry" one time into like Notepad and then close the document without saving it. I. For me, it's it's more, I guess it really is just like, I liked the internet a lot and the internet sucks ass and like, you know, basketball is doing good and this guy is making a basketball thing and that's cool. I wish that Mark Zuckerberg would t make a billion dollar website that actually ruled. Well, yeah, you know, I, 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 I that guess that's the other Jack thing. Jack Dorsey is that... would make a billion dollar website that was actually cool and didn't suck. That yeah. we had like public parks on the internet where people could just like have fun and okay, do cool okay, stuff but, and there but, wasn't all this garbage. But if we're talking into the context of sports, many people would argue that the Warriors have ruined basketball by getting too good. That they... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I've, I've the, heard that shit, but come on. That's yeah. like what you want. That's like well, you need a villain. Yeah. You need that narrative. You need LeBron going to the Lakers and whatever is going on like well like, I, I, underperforming I, or whatever like this is like part of it this is just a you, phase you know, of the I, sport I, I think what we're talking about i guess what i was trying to convey and maybe doing a poor job of it in depicting these types of people like a like uh, um or a steve jobs type is that the type of person who gets this sort of big thing done is not the type of person to care about the little people generally and it might be yeah. asking too much to expect that our society produces that and right now that's it's perhaps always been a problem but it's a little bit more of a problem just because as we always talk about the proportionality issue of the internet and the way everything can just scale massively and i guess that's what we're yeah. saying that this is the kind of guy you're going to get to make a billion dollars this is the kind of guy you're going to get and he kind of you know, in the ecosystem of society, he, maybe he needs to play his role, and then the regulators need to play their role, right? And the uh, the 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 government needs to pay, play its role to rein in certain uh, abuses of power. Um, but everything just seems very much out of whack right now. At the same time, though, Matt Bezos didn't get what he wanted in New York, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Maybe he needed a he needed a Benioff type to uh to facilitate all that. Yeah, maybe. It seems like these guys don't have that kind of appetite or aptitude for, you know, city fights and stuff like that. I don't know. It's just like a different class, a more aloof class of billionaires that are afraid to like get down and dirty with like public works and with things that I don't know. I don't know what this is. This is above my understanding level, I think to some degree. Mm. Well, I, I don't know. It, well, I, I guess all I can say is that if we're ranking billionaires, I guess I put Lake up above uh, Zuckerberg. <laughs> that's as far as I can go. Well, that's not the that, that that's damning with faint praise, considering uh, considering <laughs> your your past critiques of Zuckerberg. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm very I'm just very interested in everything happening in my region, and I understand. I understand a lot of the downsides and understand how emotional people are about those downsides. I just don't, I don't quite know. 
I don't quite know what to do about it, at least on the local on the local level, other than allowing people to build more, you know, having less nimbyism. But that's just one of those easier said than done propositions. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, we might as well live in the towering megalopolises of the dystopic futures <laughs> that we've imagined. I will say, if I, we're gonna get there I, anyway. I, I will say, um, and I might get some heat for this. I remember what Oakland was like before this recent boom, and I loved it quite a bit. But there were some downsides. There was a lot more murder. Um, you know, there's like there there were downsides, and it seems like it's just glibly dismissed with the money rushing in there's a focus on there's an obvious focus on what's wrong with it and there's not as there's not a lot of admission about certain trade-offs that are actually decent trade-offs is this going to hurt oakland the warriors moving to san francisco um that's a great question marcus thompson and i i don't want to blow up his spot i don't want to if he wants to write about it because he was thinking about doing almost a rebuttal to uh to my article uh, because he's from Oakland, from East Oakland, and we, we had a very interesting conversation about how much do cities need these things, right? You know, monetarily, maybe they don't, but not everything's about money. And civic pride is a thing. But why should people even have civic pride, right? It, it's kind of like well. it's kind of like with nationalism where, Part of me thinks nationalism is kind of silly, but then part of me thinks maybe we need nationalism for people to have the pride to just keep this thing going and to make a country. Yeah, functional. well, look, I think I, <laughs> I think all things in moderation, you know what I mean? Moderation like a certain level of. Yeah, a certain thing is a certain amount of nationalism. I think is fun and cool. And you root for your team in the Olympics or you root for your sports team. And like, you know, you, you are from a place and mm -hmm. that's defined. You know, Some nationalism good. But if you have too much, you're, you're bombing some country over nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, but I mean, I think like this, that amount of nationalism, that amount of segmentation is also what I think I'm calling for on these big, uh, you know, global platforms or whatever is that they're just unwieldy and we need to get to like smaller fiefdoms, smaller communities in which these types of things matter. Mm. Uh, where, you know, where you have pride and like a local fire that burns that creates, you know, and so something like Oakland definitely has that, of course, like a city does have that. Yeah. But what happens when one city robs you of that, I guess, is the question. And is that the case? Is Bay Area a region or is Oakland a, a separate distinct place that will be harmed by this I don't I don't know the answer to that I think economically it'll be fine but Asher disagrees as Oakland's yeah. one of Oakland's newer residents um, mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not sure I think that there's it's more of an emotional hit than a tangible hit it's more this was something to know us by and now it is no longer something to know us uh, to know us by but I also think that Oakland doesn't put up as much of a fight as some other cities would uh, when it comes to losing a team, in part because Oakland has been booming recently, and it seems like a city like Cleveland would fight harder to keep a team and to retain that versus, you know, versus Oakland, who might look around the country and go, well, you know, Austin, Texas doesn't have a team. That's a city that people seem to be really into. You don't necessarily need a team specifically in your city to be a city that, that people care about and want to check out and want to hang out in. Hmm. Um, do you agree with my assessment, though, overall? Because I think I got some pushback on that, that 
in this bizarre way, San Francisco and the Bay Area as a region, it jumped up a level in terms of national. Rel- I, I got hit on this both ways. I got hit on it from the perspective of people saying that's not true. New York overall, you know, New York and L.A. dominate. And from the San Franciscans who grew up here, they were saying it was always like that. And I was I, I kind of had to say to them, I got I got to be honest. I was from somewhere else and we didn't really think about you that much. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I always, I've always had a good time when I go to yeah, San Francisco. Yeah, it's a cool city. But in the cool same way there. that you might say, I there is a sense that yeah, but there's a sense that it's getting worse, or at least it's not getting better, as far as like cool shit happening there. There's no like cultural movements coming out of San Francisco like there were in like the '60s and '70s. Yeah, um, yeah, there, it's not as cool a place as it was. It's it's got sort of an enhanced it's an enhanced prestige with a decreased art prestige somehow. Um, yeah, which is they don't care about art there. That's that always surprised me. I always thought. I mean, I looked at this in, as far in, in terms of like improv and comedy scenes and shit like that. And you know, you got I think like great cities like develop scenes like that. And San Francisco has not developed, and and I do mean San Francisco because I, I Oakland has like music reputation going. Oakland uh, has this great, itself. by the way, Oakland has this great thing that I'm going to try to do called Paste Magazine, which I I don't I don't interact enough with the art scene because I'm 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 old and and married and have a have a child, but it was this amazing. Um, sort of performance of articles, a little bit like This American Life at the Fairmount uh, or Paramount Theater. Sorry, I've got the baby over here. 3,000 people in a theater just watching people kind of perform articles with animations and an orchestra. And it was so damn, it was so damn cool. It was so cool. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I saw Jake. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, So Oakland definitely has an art scene but matt i think we should wrap up because someone is getting yeah, fussy yeah, yeah. over here as he yeah, pulls sure. at the my back, yeah the back half of this also is like certainly less fiery than the front half <laughs> well, of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> well we don't have to use it we could maybe discuss the whole the the whole san francisco thing next time and come back to it i don't know but the baby is pulling at my headphones so i'm gonna go man i'm gonna go cool. <laughs> see ya i'll send you this <laughs> take it easy guys bye <laughs> Alright, Ethan's gone. I'll say bye to you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, catch us again uh, the next time we drop an episode. And uh, yeah, we're on iTunes now. Subscribe uh, and all that shit. You know, I don't know. Tell your friends if you like the things that we do. Or I don't, you know, whatever. Hey, look, what, who am I to say anything? Uh, this has been syncing up. Uh, please take it easy. Please take it easy.